All right, Mark Cabali set to join us next hour. Looking forward to that. We got Harry Callis in for Donnie Football. So sad news this morning. Andy Russell, member of the 74 and 75 Super Bowl winning Steelers, passed away. He was 82 years old. And Mulsey brought up a good point during the break. If you are a Steelers fan and you are under like 40, 40 years old, yeah, 40's good. how much do you know about Andy Russell's story? Is he is his journey to Super Bowl champion that well-known? Uh, if you are a diehard Steelers fan and you're a younger fan, you know all about Joe Green and Lynn Swan and Jack Lambert and, guy, and Franco Ham, and guys Mel like Blunt, that. Yeah. And Russell is just a tier below them. He's a Steelers Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Honor guy. He's not in Canton. So I have here some Andy Russell clips that are going to help educate people. And for Steelers fans who obviously know Russell, bring back some memories about his illustrious career. So he started with the Steelers in the 60s. He was a holdover from the bad, bad, bad Steelers before Chuck Noll came to town. And here he is rehashing the first conversation he ever had with Noel after the Steelers hired Noel away from the Baltimore Colts. Back in the 60s, the Steelers were pretty bad. We just could not consistently win games. We would lose games by the most bizarre circumstances. We'd, we'd find a way to lose every time. So it was a very frustrating experience and quite a remarkable change when Chuck Noll came. He called me in in the offseason. I'd made my first Pro Bowl in 1968 prior to him coming. And I thought, well, he's calling me in to congratulate me. So I went in to see him, shook hands, but he wasn't overly friendly. And he, he looks at me and he says, you know, Russell, I've been watching the game film since I've taken over the job here. And he said, I don't like how you play. You're too aggressive. You're too out of control. You're trying to be the hero. You're trying to make big plays. I'm going to change the way you play. I'll make you a better player than you are now because you're not disciplined enough. How is this done? So I hear that and I think of two things today. The first thing is Noel sounds a lot like Belichick. A lot like Belichick. Where he's just, this is how I feel. I'm not going to sugarcoat things or pump you up. I don't care what the stats say or what accolades you have. I'm going to be honest with you. And if it's super critical, so be it. Belichick's literal do, the do your job mantra. You know what that actually was, right? The whole philosophy was everybody like he he hated hero ball. The whole point on defense for them was always just stay in your like do your assignment and the defense is a good enough defense that it will work. And the other thing there is, could you imagine today if a guy goes to a pro bowl or is an all pro and there's a new coach and the coach calls him in and he says, "I don't like the way you play." The agent is contacting an Adam Schefter or a Jay Glazer or somebody like that, and the guy's probably wanting a trade out of town immediately. The agent might not even I'm stop. I'm done here. The, F this. Yeah, this guy sucks. The agent might not even stop with a trade request. They might even try to plant like a fake story to make the head coach look really bad. Yep. Noel, verbally abusive to players. So that's part one of this. The next is what happened when Russell showed up to his first Steelers training camp with Nola's head coach. We get to training camp, and the first speech to the team, he said, look, I've been watching the game films since I took the job, and I can tell you guys, the reason you've been losing is not because of your attitude or your psyche or any of that stuff. 
The problem is, is you're not good enough. You know, you can't run fast enough, you can't jump high enough, you're not quick enough. Your techniques are just abysmal. I'm going to probably have to get rid of most of you, and uh, we're going to move on. And, I, I mean, five of us made it from that room to the 74 Super Bowl. Again, insane, Brutal honesty. insane thing to hear nowadays. I just can't, you know where I, no, you know what that actually makes me think though. That's like how I could not not that he would ever take a job that would require him to do this. If Urban Meyer or some no, you know what it is? It's Dion at Colorado. I thought That's the same what it thing. Is. It's Dion. That's what I couldn't play. He got in the room and he's like, "Yeah, you guys aren't good enough. I'm going to bring in all my, my guys Louis who are going to transfer yep. in who are better than you." Yeah, didn't really find an offensive line that was better than what they had, but. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. It was, the Dion, it was a less uh, glitzy version of the Dion Louis Vuitton speech. Again, though, that kind of bluntness is just crazy to think about happening today in the pros. Well, think about the, think about the situation, too, at the time that Russell's talking about. The Steelers have no history of winning. Here comes a coach who's younger with no head coaching experience. Now, he had been in Baltimore with Shula and Unitas and stuff, so he comes from a winning organization. But he hasn't accomplished anything as a head coach, and the team always loses. Mm-hmm. And he shows up in day one and says, you guys stink. What's the buy-in at that point? Almost you know, you still have to go out there and coach them. Gotta and he still had to go out and try to win with those guys because there was no free agency back then. And they couldn't turn the roster over in one year. So... He had to, Noah had to make those guys compete and fight for those precious few roster spots that Russell was talking about that would exist or still be there for these guys once the team became a good team. Mm-hmm. I think we've done this with the Pirates a lot, at least since I've been here. When the Pirates are in rebuilding, you try to figure out or you'll say, you know what, when this team is good or t- in two or three years, I could see this player being a part of that good team. I could see O'Neal Cruz in two years being the starting shortstop on a team that wins 90 games. Or, you know, that's, that's what you, you do. You're, you're projecting on bad teams. Who, who, who's, who's just driftwood and who's actually a foundational piece. When you make a speech like that, too, to a team, I've got to believe part of it. Even It makes it easier, probably, if you genuinely believe what you're saying, which is just most of these guys aren't good enough. But there has to be a weeding out process there where you wonder who is going to take that to heart and, like, and play their best. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, you're you're almost trying to find out. You probably think like, yeah, eighty five percent of the team isn't good enough, but I need to figure out who the fifteen percent are who are good enough, and I'm hoping it's the guys who are going to play the hardest for me. So the Steelers win Super Bowl nine. They end their years of futility, and so it's Russell who's the veteran on that team, and they're in the locker room at Tulane Stadium after the game, and it's Andy Russell's job, Mulsey, to decide who gets the game ball. It's his call. He's got the ball, and he has to decide in that moment who he's going to give it to. Would have been a natural to give it to Franco as MVP, or give it to uh, you know Joe Green or LC. But I, I thought we, you know we got to give it to to the Chief. You could almost see tears in his eyes. I think I had tears in my eyes, and I had such respect for that gentleman. To see him after all those years to rise to the top of the mountain was quite an experience. Pretty weighty decision there. He probably could have given it to Noel, too, for being the coach that was so instrumental in the whole thing. Yeah, but, but maybe he was holding against him. You know, you came in like such a such a jackass. But that produces one of the iconic photos or moments in Super Bowl history where you see the chief in the locker room there with the Lombardi and the football after 
they finally got to the top of the mountain after winning zero. Well, they won a playoff game in 72, the Immaculate Reception, but from 33 to 72, they never won a playoff game. Isn't that insane to think about? Like They were I'm worse not, than the Bengals of like the last... They were, they were the embarrassment of the league. Well, I mean, if we were living here and doing sports talk in the 1950s, we would be talking about the Steelers the way that people have talked about the Pirates for the better part of 30 years. Funny, we wouldn't even talk about the Steelers. We would be talking about like a big boxing match or something. <laughs> like Billy Kahn back in town. Can you imagine you and I wearing fedoras? Dude, we'd be dressed up every day. We'd be wearing fedoras, shirts and ties. Yeah, see here? Apparently everyone in the 50s was Jimmy Cagney. Uh, who, who were, he said five of us made it. So Mansfield would have been another one. Yep. Um, Greenwood and, and Green both came in in 69 in that, that draft. Um, I'm trying to think who the other guys were that would have been holdovers from that team. John Kolb came in again, 69. I'm just like, I'm scanning over here who would have been on that roster besides he and Mansfield that would have made it. Uh, maybe Sam Davis. Who yeah. was a guard who started on that team who was older. Yep. You're right about him. Uh, there had only been like two more then. I mean, do you count Walden the punter? 36. You, you think Andy Russell was counting him? He was there since 68, yeah. I'm saying, do you think Andy Russell's counting the punter specifically? That's a good question. That's what I mean. How about Blyer? That would have been it. I think that might be it then if he's counting the punter. That is before he went into military service. It is pretty crazy to consider that you even in the air, you said you couldn't turn over a roster like lickety split because of no free agency. How fast they actually did end up turning it over. Russell was a guest on one of our shows a few years ago and said this about what it was like playing football in the 70s. In those days, Ham and I were trying to lose weight because we, we wanted to get down below 220. Because of why? Because we were covering wide receivers and rerouting them, which you're not allowed to do anymore. See, they don't let you play defense anymore. This game is, is you can't do a thing. You know, you can't touch anybody. It's really strange. I mean, I'm, I'm worried they're going to sissify the game. I've, I've had a new take on that, by the way, in recent years. I think there are too many rules that benefit the offense. Well, now how about this hip tackle thing that they're coming out with, the drop tackle? I have no problem. The hip drop tackle. I, have, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm... Maybe this is me channeling Andy Russell. I don't know. It just looks like a tackle to me. Does it look it's just, like that to you? It, it, it just seems like not only is it another rule to benefit the offense, it just seems like it's a lot for referees to have to call And for defensive fast. players to figure out yep, on the fly. That too. It's, it's going to lead to more injuries as guys just decide, you know what? Can't hit high. It. Can't, hit, can't low. hit low. Yeah, I, I don't like it. The thing about, I will say, about some of like the rerouting and stuff, Here's why I, I think here's why that doesn't bother me. Mo, like, has anybody looked average defensive player looks like athletically now and just what freaks these guys are, especially the dudes coming off the edge trying to get to the quarterback? With apologies to the guys of the 70s, because you're only playing against your peers, so the best still look like the best back then. Mm-hmm. These guys are just athletic freak shows anymore. It's different than it was back then. I think the game is played at an overall much faster pace than it was back then in terms of just individual speed of plays because everybody else is faster, more athletic, and heavier. Mm-hmm. I think if you're letting ro- wide receivers get rerouted the way it, that's, that's the uh, colloquial term Andy Russell uses there, quarterbacks are just getting sacked left and right because the pocket's going to break down before a guy can get open. I think if I had grown up, if I was my dad's age, I I wonder if I would like resent or like – be 
like disgruntled with the way that football is played today? I probably would. My so my dad is older than your dad, I think barely. My dad was born in the 50s. And my dad as you know is not like a huge sports fan, but he'll watch the games, right? Like he'll watch them just so he has some like snarky funny takes for me usually than mm-hmm. his opinions. I don't ever – we talk a lot now about sports more than we did when I was even growing up, and I don't – he doesn't really, like, complain and say, oh, it was way better back in the day. Like, I think my dad appreciates, like, a crazy, you know, an offensive, sl- like, shootout-type game. I don't think that bothers him. So he's not like they take hitting out of the game or they've taken the I violence he, or the physicality like, in, out? I think intellectually he understands the damage the game can do to players like that, and I think he understands how tough it is to, like, call a game, but I don't think he just sits there and says the game isn't physical. Mm-hmm. There are hits that happen today, and maybe it's because, like, we have HD and the camera work is perfect and everything from the 70s always looks slower because half the time it's being presented in slow motion. There are hits from today that look like they would kill a guy. You know what's so weird about my dad? I never hear him complain about that stuff either because he's he's so into fantasy football. And he's, well, I think betting is betting. If you're into fantasy or you're into betting, I don't... you might get annoyed more. You know what you'd get annoyed more about is just the rules as they get applied during the game, not that they, like, make the game itself worse. So, did you know that... Andy Russell had something in common with James Harrison up until last year? I don't think I did, actually. So James Harrison has the record for what? Like an individual? Yeah. What do you think he has the record for in the playoffs? Longest defensive touchdown. Longest interception Interception return for a touchdown. Okay. Yeah, 100 yards. Russell had the record for the longest fumble return for a touchdown. Really? In NFL playoff history. He had a 93-yard fumble return for a touchdown against the Baltimore Colts that stood as a record um, until... Wasn't it the guy in the Bengals, How Hubbard took Sam it back? Hubbard. Yeah, Hubbard had the when one When Huntley where... tried that uh, quarterback sneak from like outside the one-yard line and jumped over and he Punched snatched the ball yeah. away and took it all the way. So Russell had that record up until last year. And had this quip about his return for a touchdown. Running as fast as I can run, you know. And everybody had a lot of fun with that. Jack Ham thought they'd call it delay a game. And, and Mansfield claimed that NBC cut for a commercial. And guys are jogging by and about to picking up the fumble. My friends like to kid me about the picking up the fumble and, and racing 93 yards for the touchdown. And, you know, uh, Guys are jogging by me, and I'm running as fast as I can run, you know. And everybody had a lot of fun with that. Jack Ham thought they'd call it delay a game, and, and Mansfield claimed that NBC cut for a commercial and caught the end of the run. And you know, and that, but you know, it is an NFL record. What is the, that? That the 93-yard fumble recover? Oh, the most elapsed time in any single play. That was until last year. Andy Russell, the longest play in NFL history. I have it on right now. Man, he is chugging it. <laughs> He really looks like he is working hard. Yep. That guy that was a great dude and part of the Steelers' uh, Super Bowl championships in the 70s. We lost him today. Um, Word out of the combine that the Patriots want to sign Joe Flacco. What's your reaction to that? Um, Man, on the spot, I hadn't seen it. It feels like a weird match, actually. It does. It feels like it doesn't feel like a one that it's going to work out well. It's hilarious because he always played extremely well up there. In fact, I think other than Eli Manning, very famously, I don't know if you could make an argument that any quarterback did better against Belichick or looked better than Flacco. I think they want him because the coach there played against him in 
has respect for the way he did it in places like New England. I think that's what it ties back to. So it's the old, it's like Mayo a, was the it's a variant a, of Tomlin saying if you cooked the Steelers and now you're a free agent, we want to talk to you. Yeah. I don't think it's a good fit there, though, because I think it worked for him in Cleveland in part because ultimately they still had a very good offensive line. The Patriots have a bad roster. The Browns, man for man, have a much better roster. I thought in Cleveland that was like kind of the place where it could work the best for him. Where he, he has to go somewhere where he can drop back. There's the threat of a pretty good running game, and he can just try to, to pick apart opposing teams. I'll tell you what, man, just as an aside – very few things that are going to be more interesting, at least for me to watch, than how the Patriots look post-Belichick, man. There is the chance. Now, the fans up there being what they are will always make them pretty easy to root against. There is the chance that they become a much more likable bunch now. Did you see Mayo already said, like, he had to answer questions about whether he was slagging Belichick because he said, basically, we're not going to be so uptight all the time. Like, we're just, we're not going to be, like, miserable football robots. We're going to, like, loosen the reins here a little bit. He said that. And, of course, people are like, is that a shot at Bill? It is. And then he had to say, it's, it's, an, not, it's, it's not. It's an acknowledgement that, like, the times have changed and he doesn't think that that kind of Chuck Knoll, Bill Belichick uh, style of coaching works today. Uh, you know what, though? If the, if it flipped and they became good, I would find nothing likable about it because it's, well, no, it it's just, too close. It would tick me off that they got right back on the horse. They've, it's not far enough removed yeah. from their dynasty. And if, you know what? And if it's like he reveals himself to have been this brilliant tactician in waiting, it'll just it'll enrage me that Belichick's tree fails everywhere, right? McDaniel's fails twice. Charlie Weiss, Romeo Cornell, all these guys. Joe Judge, I could keep naming names. Go places and just fall in their face. Then the one guy he in writing anointed to be his successor is the one truly good one of the bunch. That would that would annoy the hell out of me. That I think about it. Dave and Coriopolis has been on hold for a while. Hello, Dave. I was actually behind uh, Chris today in traffic. This is oh, a- is that right, Dave? Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't recognize you. I thought it was a Chinese air balloon being hauled by a car. Oh, is that right? Yes. Uh, was Karen and Aliquippa in the backseat? No, 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 Was no. Skittles I, in the I car? No, Skittles is actually uh, on her way down to uh, Florida. She's going on vacation. <clears throat> where, because, she, where in Florida yeah, is she headed? The Gulf Coast, I presume. Something about baseball. Did you hear? Did you hear the story that Marvin Harrison Jr. is ruining his reputation at the NFL scouting combine by not meeting with teams? There's only like one or two teams that could possibly, you know, pick him up. Shouldn't he say hello to those teams and be courteous? Did you hear at the scouting combine that Michigan players are uh, lighting it up and getting rave reviews? Well, they were in college for ten years. Why wouldn't they be developed? Anything else to say, Dave? O-H-I-O. Bye, Dave. Coincidentally, the longest word Dave can spell. Callus, that's a guy named Johnny the Barber who sneaked past you with a fake name. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've met Johnny the Barber before, you have. but I haven't talked to him in a while. That's when you were really drunk at the uh, fan karaoke event and you thought an old man in the front row was Ed Bouchette. That's also true. It looked true. like him, though. <laughs> no, not, not particularly. I, I want to bail you out, Callis, because I like hello, you. Hello, Ed Bouchette. The best part hello, was Ed. the best part was the oh, guy hello. himself got a huge kick out of it. Was very amused that somebody thought he was Ed Bouchette. 
Did you think I was drunk at that party? You were double fisting Coronas. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was. Yeah, you're right. I'm not a Corona in the winter drinker. Well, you're they not a hot dogs and ice cream after Labor Day, except when you make an exception. Corona's a beach beer. I'll admit, like, somebody, like, so you've got a toasty fire roaring and it's snowing outside. Hey, get me a beer. Make it one of those ice-cold Coronas. Right. On, like, a 28-degree night. You're the beer snob of the show. Am I onto something there? Yeah. It's not I, a winter beer. Corona is a very much a time and place beer. Do they make wintery beers? Yes. Like what? Like Christmas wait. beers. Mad Elf like is spi- one, for example. A spiced ale. You could get a, a Great Lakes Christmas ale. You could get a winter solstice beer. You could. There's so many of them, dude. That's like the best beer drinking time of the year is when it's chilly That's a out. flip-flops and Hawaiian shirt beer, Corona. Much like you wouldn't drink one of the beers we just named while you're at the beach because you'd be blacked out after three of them, <laughs> you don't drink Corona when you're just sitting there having like Christmas dinner. Didn't you make out with somebody that night, too? No. No. Listen to how quickly he <laughs> nipped no. that one in the bud. Wow. Have Crowley and Doran tried to get your dating game reignited? No, Crowley makes fun of me a lot. And so I don't think that's very nice of he him. He does the opposite of pumping your tires. Yeah, Doran's really a Doran tries to to keep my spirits high. Crowley though couldn't care less. Hmm. I mean, Crowley's a pretty awkward guy himself. I was going to say people some, in glass I, houses shouldn't be I was about those, to say uh, something, but I'm going to bite my tongue on it. <laughs> I was ready to say something. You're going to say gonna it off the it, air? I'm going to keep it to myself. No, I'm just going to keep it to myself. That bad, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Texas on the Edgar Steiner Associates fan text line. Mark Caballi live from Indianapolis joins us next where a Steelers prospect just got injured. 50-minute mark on the fan brought to you by South Hills, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram, and Peters. Harry Callis oh, was man. just telling us off the air. True Friday show today. That he is the man for the morning show producer job. And then while making that point, he forgot to call Mark Caballi to come on this segment. I was being asked questions. <laughs> we were grilling him. Part of being a good producer is to multitasking. Exactly. Like you're sort of half answering us, half listening to us while doing the most important thing, which is calling Caballi. Well, he's on now, so you can. Oh, man. I didn't know attitude was part of being it a great. Was, I'm sorry. It wasn't attitude. I'm scared. You're scared? No, if you're going to say something like that, you have to say it in Starkey's voice. I'm scared. Fan Hotline is presented by Sullivan Super Service, Pittsburgh's trusted plumbing and HVAC provider for over 50 years. Uh, Nate Wiggins, a corner from Clemson who met with the Steelers, ran the fastest 40, 427, then had his hamstring blow up and told Stacey Dales from NFL Network, it's burning, it's on fire. Uh, reports afterwards say it's a hip flexor injury, not a hamstring. He's probably done. At the combine for the rest of the week or the rest of the day, you, you would think. You'd think four two seven forty, but he's only hundred and seventy pounds. Apparently, doesn't really like tackling. And so, Mark Caballi's with us right now. Mark, would the Steelers draft in the first round a guy who's smaller than Adam Crowley? <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. Um, That's not their type. Well, potentially because you got a pretty big corner on the other side. With Joey Porter. But if some is good, more is better. That Quinion Mitchell is a big dude. And if you run it to the side where Wiggins is, I mean, he's going to imagine Crowley Crowley trying to tackle a Joe Mixon or a J.K. Dobbins or somebody like that. Yeah, but, you know, I'll be honest with you, how many times does that really present itself? A handful of times. Well, it kept Porter out of the lineup full-time until a little bit into the season. He was unwilling to tackle whatsoever rather than being incapable of, of tackling until his old man got a hold of him and 
uh, put him straight here a little bit. Wait a bit, minute. But... Hold on. Time out here. I didn't know that story. I was under the distinct impression Porter was a guy who didn't mind being physical but had no technique. You were saying that it took <laughs> Joey Sr. intervening to say, like, basically it's time to sack up and start mm. playing tough guy ball? Well, you know, when uh, Joey Porter Jr. was named Rookie of the Year, he talked to us in the media and he alluded, not alluded, he actually said to the fact that his dad was not very happy with his tackling efforts early in the season and had to have a a little talk. Can you imagine that talk of old man Joe? I Joey can imagine Porter Joey Porter getting in my face very easily, Mark, actually, and, and <laughs> talking, yes, it happened. talking to me that way. Yes, I if can I imagine that If I hadn't played easily. Peacemaker, he would have maybe died that day. You know, yeah, quit I, inflating your role in it. I actually was the bigger man there and diffused the situation well, myself. Well, I had James Harrison in my face after a game, so who would you take? Well, that's because he, he think you were Mark. Madden. Yeah, he thought you were Mark Madden. <laughs> <laughs> it was after a Baltimore game, and you know, it got to the point where Brett Kiesel was right next to us saying, you better take him away from him or something's going to happen here. Of course, James from me because, you know, James would have – probably won that battle but did he eventually apologize for getting you absolutely wrong? not no absolutely not he said i know it was him no it wasn't me but uh it's interesting uh i don't know who i'd take that i'd probably take i don't know joey porter over that but uh yeah his old man apparently was not very pleased with him with his tackling effort and how we get off the topic here but yeah mark what do you think the percentage chance is that at pick 20 they do address cornerback again and, and go with a top 32 pick for the second straight year at that position i think it's good it's very doable i mean the way i look at it with that is this those are positions that come available in free agents of good players great players very few and when they do they're very expensive like so the, the Sne- like the Sneed sign and trade is off the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so when you have an opportunity to get a guy for four, maybe five years at a decent price, that's the route you want to go. You don't really want to go get the Sneeds guy because I mean the, the money is out of control. So basically, what you're so. saying is under Omar Khan, they'll never draft a running back again in the first round. It's pretty much what you're telling me with that. I wouldn't say never, but, but I close probably, to never. I probably wouldn't. I yeah. mean, same would you goes. say inside linebackers probably off the table too? Because you can. The opposite is true. It seems like you can find solid yeah. guys at reasonable prices. Plus, they have a history with that. Was just last year of not spending. Mark, that's me. Mu- Mark, that is that is music to my ears. Finally. Malsey's takes are reaching the front. Well, office. you say that, but that doesn't mean that they won't go out and sign a Patrick Queen or something well, like that, right, that. Mark? No, if that was me, I would definitely take a look at Patrick Queen uh, for eighteen million dollars a year. Cool. If that's what it takes, yeah. though, I wouldn't. 16, 7, I mean, how, you put that in put that in perspective. It's five million bucks more than Larry Ogunjobi, right? Mark, yeah, but you that's know a bad I, contract, you know Mark. I don't, don't want to compare everything back to a bad Albatross deal they have. Not to get in the weeds, Mark, but I think Patrick Queen is inside linebacker Bud Dupree. Not very good until a way better player came along to play next to him. Eventually, they're. Go- I'm not saying that that would ever happen, but I would take a look at it, see how much he's he's worth there. But I mean, like I mentioned, I mean they got. Quan Alexander off the squ- uh, scrap heap in July, late July, August, who turned out to be a pretty good player until he got hurt. I mean, who heard of Cole Holcomb really until uh, they brought him in 
here in LA. And Roberts was one of the stars of the defense, in my opinion, last year, and he didn't get paid very much whatsoever. So I think they, when you approach something like that, you have to understand that there's value in that position on the free agency market where there's players they are not going to cost a lot. So, I mean, when you look at positions, you look at the draft, you look at tackles, because those are guys, again, very expensive, don't come on the market very often in cornerbacks, in my opinion. Mark, what was your uh, takeaway from Omar's uh, Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph comments? I mean, either Omar's a great liar or <laughs> or they really are going to do exactly what they've been telling us for the past month and a half, two months, and it's going to be Kenny and Mason and um, move from there. It, it's tough right now because uh, Mason is obviously not under contract here. So they have to uh, be careful how they approach what they're saying there. But uh, they want him back. They've been wanting him back. And they got a little upper hand, I do believe, in the negotiations with Rudolph because you say to him, here's our offer, almost take it or leave it. Do you really want to go out there in March 14th or March 13th and try to search for a better position where you have a chance to go at least play and with more money, are you going to take that chance? And all of a sudden in April, you don't have a job again. So uh, I think it's very beneficial for them to get that done and Mason to get that done before free agency. But uh, do you think it will? Yeah. What do you think's think the likelihood yeah, that they break, they break camp? Okay. Percentage chance. No, just one out of 10, 10 being it's most likely. Yes. Going to happen a hundred percent. One to 10 that they're one, two on the depth chart. When they hit camp is Pickett Rudolph. Probably eight, eight and a half, wow. right around there. Wow. I think that's. I think they're just going to go. They, you know, they got the Arthur Smith. They want to run the ball. They felt that that's the way they're going to be able to win games here. So, and they saw that Rudolph was able to be able to do that down the stretch last year. So, I mean, to me, I think it's fine for one season. Then obviously address it again next year if that's the case. So I, I'm I'm fine with. Mason and Kenny just battling out. I don't know if there would be much of a battle there, to be honest with you. I think you give Kenny the benefit of the doubt. Not Maybe not me, but I think they'll give Kenny the benefit of the doubt for a half a season. Then let's see from there. Then it's time to you know maybe potentially start winning some games. But I think that's been the plan since day one. Mark, when you say they want him back, Rooney, Khan, Tomlin, Arthur Smith, you think they all want Mason Rudolph back, that that's their preference? That would be their pick. Uh, well, this, I, I'm not sure about Arthur Smith because I think this decision might have been moving forward before they even brought him on, right? I mean, with um, Tomlin. So you think that season. Tomlin has been so convinced by what Rudolph did in those last four games that he went from hating him to loving him now? <laughs> I mean, maybe all it took, right? To be able to win in that capacity down the stretch when everything was on the line, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sh- sure if he has full confidence of him being a franchise quarterback over the next five or ten years. But it, it, worst case scenario, you got a guy who can come in in case of an injury, or a guy that he knows that can do it in a situation where they were in last year. It's not a bad. It's not bad to have, and I think that's the way they look at it right now. Um, and just to be yeah, clear, was, in that was, situation, by the end of next year, you think Mason Rudolph would be their starting quarterback, right? Because you think he's better than Kenny. You know, not not necessarily. Even if he is better, Kenny is a guy that's 
younger and has more upside, so to speak. Does you he? know, he, I think, well, more upside in the way that he has, you know, he was 20th overall pick and all that good stuff right there. I think he has more of a future to that. So I'm not saying he would be better, but I think Kenny, I don't think Kenny is just trash yet. I think they might be a little bit nervous of what he might be able to produce this year. And that's why they're not going full in on him quite yet. But once again, I don't have anything against Kenny having that one last shot here and, you know, give him some help around him, build out the offensive line a little bit more than if it all goes to crap next year, address the quarterback. At least you have everything in place to be able to be successful. Maybe, you know, maybe (laughs) minus a wide receiver or two, but... Mark, I have a question from a listener. Uh, they watched the video uh, of Omar Khan uh, talking with you guys yesterday, and it was shot from a perspective where they could see you standing next to Omar. And this person just said, what's oh, the deal God. with Kabali's faces that he's constantly making? Is he uh, incapable I, I, of just standing still and looking normal? Your response. No, absolutely. I'm incapable of doing it. I forget. It was, was it one of those sessions. Oh, uh, it was right before that. I even said, man, I, I got to really control my facial expressions here because uh, I said that to somebody literally right before that. I don't, I'm not very good at that. I, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't win many games of poker, put it that way. We saw the Deontay Johnson thing from earlier on. So the answer to your listener's question, yes, I am incapable of controlling. Well, the McAfee show's made fun of you for that. They've gotten on your case about that. Well, put it this way. I even, even. Even when Tomlin, during his Tuesday press conferences, uh, darts somebody, you know, gives him a little one-two, a one-word answer or whatnot, I have to be careful there because I put my had to put my hands in my face there because I'm laughing that he's darting. If it's me, if it's the guy next to me, if it's the person in the back as well, I've even told him that too. I said, "Hey, I know when you're darting people." Just don't look at me because I guarantee I'm laughing when you're doing that because I just think it's funny. Mark Cabali, everybody, live from the Combine. All right, Mark, we'll talk again next week. All right, fellas. See ya. Follow us on Twitter, brought to you by South Hills Kia and Peters Township. So eight out of ten chance we get Pickett and Rudolph. All right, we're two minutes away from this discussion. One of the best baseball play-by-play guys in Pittsburgh history has laid out a list of who will become the next Steelers play-by-play man. Mm. Yes. Mm. Who will replace Bill Hillgrove? Stay tuned for that. Told you we'd be right back at 4.30, and it's brought to you by Archie's Famous Wings. Start your weekend off right with Archie's. Lanny Frateri. Iconic voice in Pittsburgh for years. Voice of the Pirates in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. 30 years calling Pirates baseball. Mm-hmm. Now a sports broadcasting professor. He's now molding the next great wave of broadcasters. Correct. Including Harry Callis. Mm-hmm. Callis is on the Lanny Frateri broadcasting tree. Mm-hmm. There is no Mike Tomlin coaching tree. There is. There is a Lanny broadcasting tree. Now is Lanny proud of your twig? Of your branch? I'd like to think so. Will he call you and compliment you on the great work you're doing on the morning show? And maybe when he heard your boxing play-by-play calls from last year, did he? No, he hasn't given me compliments. He's wished me happy birthday over the last few years, though, uh, since I've graduated. So 
You've got that going for you, which is nice. Yeah. He calls you and wishes you happy birthday? That is a text form, but, you know, still nice. He's thinking about me. A call would almost be unusual. No one calls anyone anymore. So Lanny Frateri is Harry Kels' birthday saved in his phone. Just throw a guy. That's pretty cool. I never wished you a happy birthday. I have no idea when your birthday is. That's true. I'm going to guess your birthday right now, and I really don't have June 11th. No, that's his guess. Fine. Don't say anything, Harry Callis. I'm going to put you at about an October 23rd. That's actually my parents' wedding anniversary, so. Holy crap. Close enough. How? But, uh, but no, my birthday is in December. December 29th. Oh, uh, one of these Christmas birthdays. Those yeah. stink. Did you get doubled up on presents where they'd say, yeah, oh, it's a birthday and a Christmas present? My mom was nice. She actually made sure that that never happened. Yeah, my brother was born four days before Christmas, and he all, I always tried well, to take pains to make sure that didn't about, happen. How uh, about... The only thing that's rough is that trends are the same during the season, so I don't get the summer trend gifts, well, right? You get everything that's popular around the same time. No, wiffle ball bats, things of that nature. Okay, I got you. So a lot of uh, scarves. You. Yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of repeat stuff. Toboggans. Long underwear. <laughs> um, how about Craig Riley today? Our boss said he texts his wife, "Hey, happy engagement day." <laughs> he remembers the day where they got engaged. I have no idea when I, Amanda and I, I got do, engaged. I do remember the day we got engaged. Do you think most couples know that? Married couples? I think if <clears throat> I think if the usually I would assume it's the husband proposing typically. Uh, if the proposal itself was any kind of involved process and it wasn't just a spontaneous gesture, I think there's a better chance you remember it. Like I, I went like to a little bit of lengths to try to surprise Alex because I knew she knew it was coming and I knew she, she loved pictures. So I had a photographer like posing as a customer, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, I had, it was pretty in depth as far as, you know, that kind of thing goes. So it's very easy to remember that it's January 11th is the day I proposed. Even easier to remember because five years later, January 11th, 2020, my sister got married. So so that's the hack for you is that you remember your sister's wedding date and then Correct. it ties back into your engagement day. Correct. Very easy for me in that way. I think it would be easy for me, too, because I just rem- a day sticks out. It's 1-1-1. One, one, one. It's just funny because Craig strikes me as a guy that drops the ball so much in his marriage. That he's got this one held high and tight he's like Tiki got, Barber. He's got a day like this. Like I would expect Craig to be someone that maybe every three or four years forgot his actual anniversary day. Yeah, I He's think- got extra days right. circled. First day we met. First date. First time we had sex. First... Uh, Wasn't that just the same as the first date? <laughs> no, no, was I'm it? Kid- no, I'm kidding, Rachel. I swear to God, don't yell at me. Wow, Craig. No, I don't think. No, I'm, that was a joke. I would think Craig would have more like anniversaries in his head of that time Utah Valley covered, or ah yes, like I remember when the over hit in a game. I also asked him when he when he was telling us about this, right? The length that he goes to remember these days. I was like, do you feel like this will be reciprocated? Like, that the concern and care you're showing. One of the quickest no's I have ever heard. He just, he seems like he is doing this out of the goodness of his heart as a husband. Should husbands know their engagement date? 412-928-9370. Amanda just texted me back. I asked her, and let's see what she said. Uh, I don't. Good. I'm in the clear. She doesn't know it either. Do you even remember, like, what time of year it was? That part, I feel like you should. I think it might be coming up. I think it was... Early spring. 
Uh, all right, so this gets back to Lanny for Terry. Yes. So Lanny was on with the morning guys today impromptu, and he gave his five leading contenders for the Steelers radio play-by-play job. Okay. The guy that has the most experience is Tony Caridi in West Virginia. And there is a precedent for a West Virginia announcer being the voice of the Steelers with, with Jack Fleming. Yep. Okay. Rob King, one of the best sportscasters in Pittsburgh, if not the best. Uh, Rob has shown tremendous versatility in his time here in, in Pittsburgh. Bob Hoppiani, contacts with the Steelers, his knowledge of the Steelers. I'll give you a couple of wild cards. Wild cards. Wouldn't it be great if at some point Jack Hillgrove became a legitimate candidate, though I don't, I, <laughs> to be honest, doubt whether Jack's ready right now. Sure. Okay. Matter of fact, when Jack was at Waynesburg, I used to kid him. I'd say, Jack, you're going to be an NFL broadcaster sometime, but it's going to probably be for the Cleveland Browns. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then I'll give you another dark horse candidate, Josh Roundtree. Wow. Josh wow. Roundtree has become yeah. a, an outstanding broadcaster um, over the last several years, and I know that because I've worked with Josh on Trib Live High School Sports and um, done a tremendous job of growing as a broadcaster and evolving as a broadcaster. How about that? What a pop for Roundtree. Roundtree gets thrown in there. What a pop for Roundtree. The first two names there, by the way, for a long time I thought people assumed Tony Caridi would take would get the job. I actually, My personal opinion is Rob King, if I had to bet on one of those five, I'd bet on Rob King. I've heard that, that he's pretty much already got the job. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying, not to, say, I'm trying not to say it in those terms. And I texted but... Pop today, and I'm trying to get out of him because of our relationship. I'm trying to massage him and work him over to get answers and he's is he clamming up on you and he was very elusive about it all right so we got a man right now pony who's listed a in candidate this josh five. roundtree is on yeah. the hotline right now Hi, josh josh how's it feel to be one of the five names associated with the steelers vacant play-by-play gig uh well it was news to me but uh had the steelers reached out since lanny's comments uh no they have not. Have you reached out to the Steelers since Lanny gave you a seal of approval and endorsement? Um, well, I, I tweeted them and I asked them where I could apply, but I, there doesn't seem to be a job posted anywhere. Hmm. Uh, so. If you could make a pitch to the Steelers and say, this is why I am the right man for the job, what would you say? <laughs> I love that I'm doing this as I'm walking my dog right now because you guys called me on the spot with no That's correct. warning, but hey, let's do it. Spontaneity well, you know, think, is a great part of play-by-play, Josh. Right, right exactly. Uh, you know, I think uh, I, I think what you're getting is somebody that's, uh, you know, an up-and-coming uh, talent in the region and one who certainly knows the organization extremely, extremely well. And I think pound-for-pound, uh, pound, you're getting the hardest worker when it comes to broadcast play-by-play in Pittsburgh. So um, that's my pitch. I mean, Jeff Hathorne is calling like five games right now this weekend, but I understand. Hey, I, you got to make I'm your pitch for five, yourself, I'm brother. Five bas- I'm not going to compete with Jeff, but I'm calling five basketball games, plus a women's college basketball game, plus a women's lacrosse all right. game. All true, right. true. He's not Fair. competing with Jeff because Jeff did not have his name associated with this job, but you are competing <laughs> with Pompiani, so why should the Steelers hire you over Bob if they ask that question in the interview? Uh, they sh- they should hire Bob over me. Well, see, that's why you can't. <laughs> You're a diplomat. Come here on, now. Josh. You can't say that in the interview if you want the job. You've got to say something disparaging of Bob in order to I climb think, over him and get to the top of the you, mountain. Let me yeah, let I, me I coach want, you. I wouldn't want the job if it meant having to talk bad about Pomp. 
Well, you know what the problem here is? Meanwhile, he, Papa, they say, why should we hire you over Roundtree? He's probably like, jo- no, who's he? No, who's the, Josh Roundtree? See, the problem here is Pomp would say, you should, you should hire Josh. He's a young up-and-comer. You know exactly. what you should say to them? You should say, Bob has a lot of responsibilities, and Bob loves doing those preseason games, and we would be the perfect— He is great, he is great on TV in the preseason. Yeah, great. and you would just say, we'd be the perfect tandem. <laughs> Uh, Josh, if the steel, if you were to get this job as the next Steelers play-by-play man, um, would you have a signature touchdown call? And if you wouldn't, make up one that you would use. No, I wouldn't, because I I don't think you can force things like that. What about whammy? Now, how like would the it. Steelers feel about some of the critical comments that you've had over the last few years? How about that? Or the as a locker room, or the locker room reporting videos that you have had. How about that whole scenario? Well, uh, yeah, that might not work out well in my favor. Um, Do you feel like you're on good is, terms with the Steelers right now? Was it truthful? I, w- I never said anything or put any videos out that weren't truthful. Now, do you feel like you're on good terms with the Steelers at the moment, Josh? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know that I'm on bad terms, but I also mm-hmm. haven't been uh, down there in a little while. Okay. Do you think absence will make the heart grow fonder in the Steelers' case here? I hope so. I have no uh, ill feelings towards anybody there. I've enjoyed my time around the team and good people down there, for sure. Great people, in fact. There you Particularly go. if they're interested in bringing me on as the uh, – the next voice of the Steelers. I think they're the best people. And it now you're like, cooking, Josh. And it sounds like you have an incredible reference here in Lanny for Terry, who's willing to go the extra mile and go to bat for you here. Yeah, that was uh, that was a very unexpected, nice little uh, thing that I heard this morning. That was very nice of Lanny. All right, Josh, keep us in the loop here. Well, we'll see how it goes, guys. Maybe there you uh, go. maybe this will help. Maybe this is the pop that I needed. Thank you, Josh. Josh Roundtree, candidate for the Steelers play-by-play gig, according to Lanny Terry. Man, Lanny can still – you hear the voice when Lanny talks. It's still just A1. Now, you heard Hillgrove's name attached to the job, little Jack Hillgrove, Callis. Now, did you go to school with Jack Hillgrove? Were you guys in the same We were grade? in the same class. Now, do you think that he is ready to be the play-by-play guy? Lanny had some reservations there. What's your take as a play-by-play connoisseur? I mean, straight out of college, no, but I haven't heard from him in – Years, so I don't know. I can't say. House of Berg is saying, how did Starkey not make that list? I'm assuming he's referencing the one Lanny just said. Joe is a play-by-play man? <laughs> is he confusing him with the other At Joe Starkey? Yeah, the guy who called the, the band out on the, play-by-play? Yeah, did the band is out on the field? I can't imagine this Joe Starkey calling are almost you, anything. Are you jealous that you were not named, named. by uh, yeah. Lanny there? Absolutely. Okay. No, I'm kidding. You should be. No, you should be professionally jealous. Not jealous, but you should be motivated. Would you be jealous of Jack Hillgrove if he got this job after his grandfather? No. No? Okay, now take off the veil of I'm going to be politically correct. Would you be jealous if Jack Hillgrove got this job? Answer honestly. I'm being honest. I would not. I think you are actually I think being I, honest. Because I think he's I think being he, honest. I think he wants a baseball job. Well, not only that, but I think he knows he's a shoe-in to get the morning show producer job. So I think he already, Harry already feels like he's in line for a big life promotion and a big step up, and he doesn't want to mess with that right now. I'm halfway. Like, uh, yeah, I do want a baseball job. 
I don't think I'm a shoo-in for anything, and uh, everything happens for a reason, so I can only do what... Uh, Does, in fact, oh everything God, happen a for a reason? What a cliche BS answer it's that not was. BS. Yeah, it is. You're not... You, if you're going to go places here... Put that, on a, put that on a little canvas print and go sell it at Hobby Lobby, all right? I need things like, you know what, Beck told's a big nerd in a doofus, and I'm going to take him down and get this morning show gig. That's I'll bet on ki- myself. I'll that's the you kind that. of stuff I want to hear I'll, from you. I'll bet on myself. I'll say that. Bechtold's producing this show on Monday. You think he's going to hold back on you when we ask him these same things? Yeah. Bechtold's going to open up with both barrels. I can only control what I can control. I mean, he, you should have heard him the other day when he was talking about the time you you didn't play, uh, you didn't do the morning pre-show because you had to take a dump. He was going on and on about that. You had to play 15 minutes of commercials because you were in there pinching one off. He was going on and on about that, Harry. Really? He was, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Is that a true story, though? I think that there was one morning because I was on some of the the new weight loss stuff I was doing, and it was messing with my stomach because my diet was terrible, and then it was becoming not terrible. So if he wants to make fun of me for that, that's that's great, but I'm down like 45 pounds. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. You should not treat him like a friend. He should. He's an enemy of yours right now. This is a competition. I'll still bet on myself. I'm not saying I'm, I'm any worse. You're the, off. You're the Yankees and he's the Red Sox right now. Very good. Okay. You're the evil empire. Fan weather brought to you by Sun Chevy. Temperatures in the 50s.